Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. It was the week before it, and all through the multiplex, it was pretty quiet. Uh, welcome back to the screening room. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. And uh, yeah, it is quiet, but there still are a few movies to talk about and some good stuff. And we'll do that this week. Welcome back. And we will start with The Boys Back on the Road. Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden embarking on another road trip, this time through Spain, sampling the restaurants, the eateries, and sites along the way. It's the trip to Spain. They want me to do publicity for a series of restaurant reviews. Um, this time, a trip to Spain. Victor makes the chorizo like his grandmother. If his grandmother tasted like this, I'd have a nibble. The thing about doing more, yes, less is more. <laughs> ah, you met my brother Les. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You enjoy the scallop just as much as I do. Bottoms up. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. Oh, you do make me laugh. <sighs> Have you heard from Steve? He'll be somewhere talking to a nun and asking if she's heard of Judy Dench. If there's one thing that these movies accomplish, they make me hungry. <laughs> yeah, they do, because you get to see some nice, some nice food as they bring it out and sampling all these dishes. And if you're if you're hip to, well, the, it, it all started with the Trip TV series on the BBC. Uh, with these two guys, and then it went into a movie, The Trip, which was when they were jotting around England uh, doing restaurant reviews for the UK's Observer, and then they did the trip to Italy, and now they're doing the trip to Spain. Yeah, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, and the director is back as well for the third episode, Michael Winterbottom. And I guess the whole thing came out of when he, Michael, uh, would see the two of them, Steve and Rob, just do this to each other, rib each other, go back and forth and try to make each other laugh, you know, in real life. And so they, they sprang this idea that, as I said, started with the TV series and onto the movies. And basically they're playing, Steve and Rob are playing themselves, but slightly fictional. Sure. It's a, they are themselves, but it's a little bit of, a little bit of fiction thrown in there, too. And they just rib each other along the way with this dry, droll British humor. And, of course their impersonations. Right. Because the biggest thing that came out of the original Trip movie was their dueling Michael Caine impressions. Which, which you, if you haven't seen it, just find it online. Just just YouTube it. It yeah. is hilarious. It is just a scream. And then in the second one, they brought a little bit of Michael Caine back, but just, just to, you know, for the highlight, because that's what everybody was was wanting. And uh, in this one, Michael Caine kind of makes way for Roger Moore. <laughs> Roger Moore is the main impersonation this time. there are a bunch, right? There, there are a bunch, a bunch. Yeah. yeah. They'll do Anthony Hopkins, and then do David Bowie and Marlon Brando, and then they do Mick Jagger, and then Mick Jagger doing Shakespeare, <laughs> you know. And it goes on and on. But the cool thing is, yeah, it does make you hungry, because they, they are there, actually, getting paid. You know, it's a job to uh, check out these restaurants and to write about them. This time, actually, the New York Times is involved as well. Uh, they're getting Steve to write uh, the New York Times bits, and then Rob is writing for the Observer. So it is, you know, a paid kind of vacation, and as they're off uh, to do to check out these restaurants. And yeah, some of the food looks fantastic. But the main thing is to get their banter back and forth, whether it's in the car or stopping to see a site, or <laughs> they're in the hotel, or they're in the restaurant, or whatever. And, and this time, I think they get you get the sense that they sense that maybe they need to add a little bit more this time, and so they do that. They get a little bit more with the um, into the, the the different tracks, the different paths that Steve and Rob's lives have 
have uh, led over the years. And, you know, Rob is becoming more of a, of a family man now, and Steve is not. And, and so they get a little bit bittersweet about that, looking back on it. Uh, kind of adding a storyline to, to connect all of the barbs and jabs. A little bit, maybe yeah. going a little bit deeper. I think that you get the sense that they thought maybe they should do that now. The, it's kind of a double-edged sword, though, because it does start to pad the running time. The running time starts to feel a little bit bloated, mm-hmm. and you get the feeling that they are maybe treading water a little bit. Because, yeah, this is more the same, and, mm-hmm. and more the same means funny. It is sure. funny, don't get me wrong, but there are maybe a couple of longer stretches of not so funny uh, in this one than there were in the first two. But uh, still still really recommend it. I mean, especially if you've seen the other two and think they're funny or think these guys are funny. And I, there, there's the one part in it, the one part with Roger Moore where uh, then Steve Coogan goes off. He stops doing Roger Moore and he starts to get into this lecture about the Moors, the people of Spain uh, and their history in Spain. And he stays on that while Rob stays and comments as Roger Moore. And I, I was darn near crying. I mean, it was <laughs> really, really funny. And so they do. They get into a lot of funny bits and they're just funny guys. And it's a uh, it's it's witty and it's breezy and it's just a feel good kind of a thing. So if that's up your alley or if you're already familiar with these movies, by all means, I would recommend it. But just maybe just a, a notch below the other two, and that is the trip to Spain this week. Next up is one that's kind of been on our radar for a few weeks since we first saw the trailer. It looked interesting, mm-hmm. very interesting. It's a story of an aspiring rapper, Patricia Drombowski, a.k.a. Killapee, uh, or Petty Cakes, who's fighting an unlikely quest for glory in her downtrodden hometown in New Jersey. It's Patty Cakes. Your pen game is ridiculous. You have notebooks full of songs, Pete. How badly do you want this? You don't have the musical bone in your body, and you sure as hell can't sing. What kind of music are we talking about here? Been rapping. Rapping. This is it. It's the Ritz Cracker, a Go Hunt Swagger. It's Viagra, a Rolling Stone through Jersey like Jagger in a Jaguar. He's for the posse, the beer for the bells. And Jay got the letters of the state where he dwells. This is the biggest opportunity of your life. Keep your head up, killer. It's a cold world out there. You got this. You're a boss bitch. This one marks the feature film debut for writer and director Jeremy Jasper, and I think maybe the feature debut for Danielle McDonald, who plays Patricia. She She's done a lot of TV mm. and things like that, but uh, she is the main driving force of this movie. She is fantastic, and uh, the movie has a lot going for it as well. It covers a lot of ground that is very reminiscent of 8, eight Mile. 8 Mile. It's very 8 Mile. Yeah. You've got, you know, the hard scrabble town and in New Jersey, and they're they're looking across the the Hudson there, dreaming of stardom in New York City. And you've got Patty and her friend Jerry, who is works in a pharmacy, but he he wants to get in music as well. And he he constantly gives her support, gives her real positive reinforcement about her rhymes, the the rhymes that he calls it the pen game. Your pen game is ridiculous about the uh, <laughs> the rhymes that she that she makes. She gets no support at home. Her mom, who's played by Bridget Everett, who did a lot of work with uh, Amy, Amy Schumer. Schumer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very has been very yeah, funny dramatic in that. role this time. Yeah. Uh, she's kind of a failed musician. She had some aspiring musical dreams in her youth that didn't pan out. So she gives Patty zero support as far as uh, want, wanting to be a rapper. But uh, So you, you get that making the dreams come true kind of, kind of feel about it. And there are dream sequences that can be stylish, and then they can also be a little, a little awkward with the, uh, with the framing and the awkward close-up. So with this um, director, this writer-director, you see not only his 
talent and his potential, but his inexperience, sure. I think, sure. all the way around. And it it's, can be quite manipulative and contrived in some of the plot points as things happen to set Patty on the, on her course to getting a a homemade CD done and then getting on sort of a battle of the bands, battle of the rappers kind of a concert. And then it leads to a just utterly shameless finale. <laughs> that that is, works. That it's so shameless, I was smiling. <laughs> you know what? Okay, fine. You want to go there? You had me. Uh, so it does. It has a, it has a lot to offer. Uh, it's not great. It, it shows a, a filmmaker maybe with a lot of ambition mm-hmm. and definitely one to watch to keep at it, but just doesn't quite have all his legs there um, in terms of storytelling and to be an original storyteller mm-hmm. in, in, instead of leaning on some previous things and some tired some tired tropes. But there's still a, a lot to recommend here. And again, mainly the, the lead, performance. lead performance by uh, Danielle McDonald. She is definitely one to watch. And, uh, you know, and the rapping isn't bad either. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't think either one of us consider ourselves rap connoisseurs. Well, I know. But, you know, once it starts slamming and, then, you know, they get the beatboxes <laughs> going, you know, it's catchy. And some of the words, I couldn't make out all of them. You know, but because the, they, they they come kind of rapid fire uh, sometimes. You can't catch all the lyrics, but some of them are pretty clever. Nice. Kind of a kind of a feel good, yeah. But we've been down this road before, sort of movie. But uh, I would still I would still give it a rec- recommendation, especially uh, when you take into account Danielle McDonald's performance. And I would definitely want to see what she does next, and keep an eye on Jeremy Jasper as well, because I think he does have talent uh, once it gets fully realized as a storyteller. And that's Patty Cakes. And one more in fairly wide release this week. It's a hockey player plagued by injuries is being confronted with the possibility of retirement when a tough new player challenges his status as the league's top enforcer. Seven years later, it's the sequel to Goon, Goon, Last of the Enforcers. What has happened to Doug Gladden? This sport is everything to you. You throw one heavy punch with that right. That's your career. Now I'm pregnant. This is big, Doug. There's a restaurant nearby that sells hot dogs. The doctor said I should never play hockey again. I need to protect my team. Hello, sir. Will you train me? Train you to what? Teach me to fight with my left. There you go! Show him and everyone else they're still here. Oh, he's back as a Highlander! Wait, how disappointed were you? In this, yeah, I was. We loved Goon. We loved it. Yeah. And it came out of nowhere, you know, well, it came out of Canada, but, you know, it was, it's not like it had a big budget. And we just, we, we watched it and we loved it. It's so charming and <laughs> funny. It's very funny. Yeah. It, it just, it just made you smile. You couldn't help it. It was almost one of those movies. I remember watching it, looking around, going, um, is it me or is this pretty good? Right. Because at the time, I really wasn't expecting anything. No. And it's, you know, Sean William Scott is back and he plays Doug Glatt, the hockey goon. And uh, this time he's he's uh, captain of his uh, Halifax Highlanders, his semi-pro hockey club, and he's still the fighter and everything. But then there's a new fighter, new fighter on the ice, and he pommels Doug. So then maybe it's time for Doug to get out of the game, and plus his girl Eva, who's played by Allison Pilligan. Mm-hmm. And really, everybody's back. Yeah, the cast is back, back, which yeah. is great. And mm-hmm. that includes uh, Liv Schreiber yep. uh, and, and all the people from the original are back, which is great. But uh, so so Doug the goon has some choices to make, and uh, his girl wants him to stop fighting. So all right, he he gets into some sort of insurance job. It's not really selling insurance; it's handling insurance documents. Well, that's what he says. That means. He's handling yeah. documents. Yeah. He just he sits in a basement right. office where homeless people pee on the window <laughs> next to him. And yeah, and so it isn't long before he you know he needs to scratch that itch, and he looks up his old uh, his old rival, frenemy uh, Ross Ray. 
uh, which is Leif Schreiber, and they're training again to get him back on the ice. So you can probably imagine how that goes. But the main thing is, it reminded me, first of all, it reminded me of two other movies that came out just around the same year or few months as the original Goon. We saw Machete Mm -hmm. and we saw Kick-Ass. And all three of them were like, wow, kind of... You know, fresh just, and fun, yeah. and just the right attitude, and just exactly. a really, really enjoyable small market film. Exactly. So then, immediately, Kickass and Machete both had sequels that were just so disappointing, painfully disappointing, both for the same reason because they seem to totally forget what made their original movies so good. Right. And that's what you get the feeling of the tone. Here. It's the tone. The tone is totally wrong. Jay Baruchel, who was a, a co-writer and a co-star of the first one, he's back not only as a co-star and a co-writer, this time he makes his feature debut as a director. But I don't know if that's so much the problem or that that we lost one of the writers. I think it's part of the problem, but maybe the biggest problem is that we lost Evan Goldberg as one of the co-writers. And if you don't know Evan Goldberg, he usually works with Seth Rogen. And so he co-wrote super bad. And this is the end. And Pineapple Express. Just and brilliant, hilarious, amazing, smart comedies. Not only they're funny, right? There's a smartness yeah. about it. Even when they get rude, oh, there's yeah, still rude. A, an intelligence about it. And that's what this movie super is Super Bad is one of the smartest, funniest high school buddy comedies yeah. ever, ever made. Yeah. And, and of course, um, Sausage Party. How oh, smart yeah. was that? Very. You know, so that's that's <laughs> what we need. It can still get rude. Believe mm-hmm. me, that's totally fine. Yeah. But the, the, all this is here, you, you get... sophomoric, that's yeah. all it is. And the characters are so broadly drawn now. Doug used to be, he in the first movie, he was a guy that was easy to root for. He, he was, was a brute, and he was he was a simpleton, yeah. but he had a heart, and mm-hmm. he, there was a reason to, to uh, root for him. Here there's not. All he is is an idiot. Yeah. Do tricks for me, and I'll laugh at yeah, you, yeah, and I'll yeah. point. And that's not that's not what makes what makes a good movie go. And, yeah, but on the directing side, I think Jay Baruchel... It, it doesn't seem to be that he's pushing anyone for any sort of performance. It, no. It's one of those movies that seems like you had one or two takes. All right, let's go. Yeah, sleepwalking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and maybe it was fun for them, a little summer camp kind of thing, yeah. a hockey camp or mm-hmm. whatever. But it really comes off as a lazy, yeah, sophomoric, just silly, uh, really disappointing sequel. Yeah. When, when if, you, if you're like us and you saw the first Goon and really liked it, and I think a lot of people did yeah. like that first one. Uh, after so many years, this is, is really disappointing. Goon, Last of the Enforcers. So there's not a ton of, of uh, big, major blockbuster fodder in, in the uh, theaters this weekend. Uh, but next weekend, we can remedy that. And we'll have, and there are a bunch of big movies coming out for the next several weekends. But some, it's, it's interesting that right now, at the very end of the summer, is when all the summer blockbusters are going to start coming out on DVD and VOD. Yeah, and this week on VOD, uh, I don't know if it's a blockbuster, but uh, it was certainly a big name of the summer out on home video. Uh, the Baywatch movie came out. You like that. <laughs> you might have been the only one. I was one of the few that didn't outright hate it. Right. I, I didn't love it. But no, no. for me, because it got some just scathing. It did. Scathing it reviews. Did. But for me, I thought it had a very self-aware attitude that it knew what it was. It knew that its source material was absolutely ridiculous. So why don't we just kind of embrace that a little bit? Wink, wink. This is all totally ridiculous. Lifeguards, fighting crime, being superheroes. And let's have some fun with it. I thought they did that. I thought it was funny enough. Uh, and yeah, I liked I liked it okay. Do you know what I've noticed? Mm. I think you like Zac Efron movies, and I think you're the <laughs> only person. Because you're the only person who liked Dirty Grandpa. And, well, I liked- you know, we both liked both... Of the Neighbors movies, yep. but the, the the sequel, which I thought the sequel was very smart and really well put together, it got annihilated by critics. Yeah, that I don't think that was worth worthy at all. But uh, here, here's the thing about, go back to, uh, which one you mentioned? Oh, Dirty Grandpa. Yep. 
The parts I liked with Dirty Grandpa didn't involve Zac Efron. I'm not saying you like necessarily. I'm just saying <laughs> it was Robert he's De Niro. in a lot of movies that bomb critically, and you're a fan of all of them. I, st- I still say the De Niro, Aubrey Plaza parts oh, yeah, in Dirty Grandpa were a scream. They were. But, uh, you know, I, I will say Zac Efron, he really needs to move on to parts that don't involve him taking his shirt off. Yeah. You know, I mean, the dude the dude is in great shape. No, no doubt about that. And it works in this movie. It's one of the things that works well, in this movie. Well, you know, what's funny is that he manages to to get parts where it does work because yeah. they're, they're, they're always comedies and, and they're poking fun at that. But well, it is time for him to well, not here's the be thing. that guy. I think his next role is going to be Ted Bundy. Oh, I think. that's right. So he can't be all Who jacked. Who was very handsome and, and yeah, charming. Yeah, he wasn't all jacked no, like no, no, that. So. No, no, But anyway, that's another one of the things I thought that worked in favor of Baywatch because it really, sure, there was plenty of cleavage and plenty of buns on the women's side, but it was even, I think, even oh, more yeah. so. Oh, yeah, between him and The Rock. Between him and The Rock, which was was appropriate, not only because they had the, the more substantial roles in the in the movie, but it kind of turned it on its head just a little bit, that they were even more ogled than the women were. So, you know, I don't want to go off too much on a Baywatch tangent, but yeah, I liked it more than most people did. So if you take it for for what it is... If you want to look at something cute, well, you can look at Baywatch, or (laughs) there's another movie full of cute stuff to look at coming out this week. There is. It's Disney's Born in China, and really all they needed to put on the marquee was Baby Pandas. That's right. Baby Pandas (laughs) here. We've been there. We got them. They're yawning. They're (laughs) sleeping. They're rolling down a hill. Okay, I'm in. Exactly. Uh, but it's one. It's their latest in that came out in their Disney Nature series, which you know can be just an incredible, incredible series. That that and and this one follows suit. That it captures some just amazing footage. It yeah. really, really, it does. really does. The footage is insane. I mean, it follows not only the pandas. It follows a snow leopard and some some antelope, uh, some some other uh, types of animals. Uh, monkeys, mm-hmm. and you get back in China, and you get back in, and you see, you know, these these habitats where people never go. Right. Uh, and then, uh, and it's one of those times where you want to stay after because instead of bloopers uh, after the movie, you get a little behind the scenes of how they got these yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah. You know, just amazing. But I think the big problem, and I think you agree with me on this, that the big problem about this movie was they simplified it too much. Not only did they add narration, which in itself is okay, I suppose, and it's John Kaczynski who does the narration, does a fine job, but the narration not only gives these animals names for our benefit, which, okay, that's cutesy, but then it starts to give them imagined yeah. motivations. Yeah, it really anthropomorphizes um, all of them. Yeah. And it, so it, it's a Disney film and it's a family film, but but after a while it feels a little spoon-fed. It does, especially, and it feels... And fictionalized. It does. It feels a little manipulatively edited yeah. to make certain yep. Yep. parts little, maybe a little more dramatic than they were. So it starts to feel a little false and a little calculated and, hey, let's make these animals uh, kind of cartoon characters that yeah, we can little, sell yeah. stuffed animals of. And they look, they have names and these are thoughts that we're going to give them. So that was my big problem with the movie. In fact, you know what? If you just turn the sound down, oh, yeah. you know, I think it would be even more worthwhile because uh, really... Uh, it looks, I mean, it is it looks spectacular great. to look at. It is stunning, stunningly photographed. But again, just to keep, I mean... Those panda babies, that, or that panda baby, shut up. And just some of the footage all the way around, just just incredible, and that's Born in China. And one more new on VOD and DVD home video this week is called My Cousin Rachel. Sam Clayfin plays a young British man, uh, and his uncle, who's raised him from his early childhood, has gone away to marry his cousin. So, okay, all right, there's a lot of family uh, love 
going on here. Shortly after that happens, though, his uncle sends him a letter where he seems like he's maybe a bit out of his head. And so so Sam goes to find out what happens only to see that his uncle is now dead. And he immediately blames the widow. Mm -hmm. She's played by Rachel Weisz. And it's an interesting film uh, because you think you're being led in a very traditional, you know, did she or didn't she? Is she evil? Is she not evil? And then she's this young man is falling under her spell, the same spell that the uncle fell under. Or at the same time, it does a very nice job of leveling it out or just saying, or is it just this time period? And people always cast dispersions Mm. on women who come into wealth and are no longer attached to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it's very clever. And for a long time, I thought, I'm not sure why Rachel Weiss decided to be in this movie. I think it's a little bit too dimensional, a little bit too predictable, but primarily because of her very authoritative performance, she really digs deeper. And the film does go in some interesting directions. Her, her performance is magnificent and she is an incredibly talented actor and and you know if this is kind of your bag a period drama you know kind of on the edge of your seat will she won't she what's going to happen it's very interesting it's provocative it's not brilliant but uh it's it's a decent one to check out okay and that's my cousin rachel looking ahead next week we already mentioned it finally it could not be more excited (laughs) and some of the early word is very positive right now so we're going to see it here on let's see we're recording You'll float too we're recording this on friday we're going to see it on wednesday yep. so <laughs> looking ahead to that so it comes next week also reese witherspoon uh her new one called home again next week to compete with it good luck uh <laughs> <laughs> smaller a mo- market a couple there's yeah. a thriller called the oath which is very good just saw that last week and another one i think we're excited about a documentary called beside bowie which is the mick ronson story yeah yeah very legendary musician who a lot of people may not be aware of may a lot of times a side man mick ronson so look forward to those next week and in the meantime let us know about any of these movies that you've seen or want to see what do you think best way to do that is on twitter you can find us at mad wolf m-a-d-d-w-o-l-f Our main website is madwolf.com. You can find all our written reviews of these movies and also on Facebook. Love to have you hook up there, Mad Wolf Columbus. Also, if you like the horror movies, don't forget our horror-only podcast, which is called Fright Club. And you can find that either on Golden Spiral Media or Apple Podcasts. You can find it there. All the regular outlets. All the regular places. So check that out if you're a horror fan. Uh, And until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and MadWolf.com. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.